Welcome to the Mom Worthy Podcast. This is Brittany. This is Sam. Grab your coffee or your wine and come hang out with us. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. We had a, this wasn't a secret teller. Was it a secret teller? I don't remember. No, she reached out to us about her story. Okay. She says that she had a story that she wanted to be able to share, to be able to relate to other moms, other moms that are going through similar situations, and she kind of explained her story, and we were like, heck yes. Heck yes, because we've actually had people ask. So she's been through infertility, um, IVF, adoption fostering like Mm -hmm. literally all of it that you can go through she's been through it and we've been getting questions about all of those things so Mm -hmm. she was all in one yeah she she started with you know finding out what the issue was for her and her husband not being able to have kids and then going the IUI route and then the IVF route and then the adoption route which the adoption is a crazy Crazy story story. yes and then the fostering route and then back to IVF and I won't ruin what happens with her story and and tell you if she has kids or if so how many kids yes this is I I love talking to her. I thought I her, her story, her journey, it was it wasn't what I expected at all from no. what she told us. You Very know? unique. Very unique. So I think you guys are gonna enjoy it. We really did. Here's our conversation with the IVF foster adoption mom. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy. I just want to throw in a quick disclaimer before this episode begins. We had some audio issues after it was recorded. There was some overlapping. So there's parts where it sounds like we're talking over each other. We are totally aware of it and we are sorry for it. Uh, Thank you guys for understanding. My name is Sarah and (laughs) I grew up in Arizona. Yeah, I still live here. And um, I have lived in New York for a couple of years. I moved back um in 2008 because my mom was really sick and she actually passed away shortly after Mm. but I met my husband I had been in a long term long distance relationship with my college boyfriend while I was living in New York and then I broke up with him when I moved back because I was just dealing with a lot of stuff and I joined match and went out with my husband thinking, you know, I would go out with a couple guys, get some confidence, and then I would move on. And I had actually planned on not staying in Arizona. I planned on moving again after helping with my mom. But I met my husband and we got married. It was a pretty quick relationship. Like we met and within a year and a half we were married. And so we stayed in Arizona. Um, One of the things that I really liked about him right away was that I knew he would be a good dad. And I had always wanted kids. So I feel like so often we say like, oh no, what happens if I get pregnant? But almost nobody talks about what if I can't get pregnant and that's like that's our story when did your journey start to try to conceive was that pretty soon after getting married like the day that we got married okay so we're not ready yeah I was 27 he's five years older than me so we were ready we'd both done our like independent life and we really just 
wanted a family. Um, how long was it until you started to think maybe something's not right or maybe I can't conceive? Yeah. So after about a year of trying, we went to just my regular OB and she referred us to a specialist and we had a ton of testing done and they were able to determine that I had some fertility struggles, um, but my husband was not able to have children at all. Mm. How were they able to determine that? Uh, they did a sperm count test. So initially they sent him to just like a um, Sonora Quest type place and they do a test there and that came back as a zero. And then when we saw our fertility specialist, he did his own sperm analysis because they can look for like one or two, not like one or two million, which is what the uh, labs look for. And there was none Wow. Is that common? Very uncommon. Mm. So what were the options that were given to you at that point? Yeah. So we were given a couple of options. We could forgo having kids altogether. We could pursue adoption or move forward using fertility assistance with donated sperm. What were your thoughts going on at this time when you were kind of processing all this? So going through that whole initial process, we just wanted kids more like it was something that we really wanted. So not having kids wasn't really an option for us at that point. And we didn't know the adoption process or we didn't know anybody really that had adopted at that point. And since most, like almost all adoptions now are open adoptions, we felt like we were really scared of that. And we felt like it would cheapen our parenting experience. So we decided to move forward with using donor sperm and IUI process. What's the process for that? So it's really crazy. There are actually two donor sperm banks in the U.S. And you use a database with like a ton of different options. You can filter by like height, build, eye color, hair color, education, interests, like everything. And then you get your results. And I picked a few that looked like sort of like my husband. Hmm. Um, Because you can see baby pictures of those. And you can pay for more stuff. But we're like, we did bottom of the barrel for pretty much every choice that we had. So he did not enjoy the idea of searching for a sperm donor, but he made the final decision with the couple that I presented to him. Then you order the sperm and it gets sent to your fertility doctor. Wow. And and so, and then the fertility doctor is the one who does the process for you? Yes. So IUI process, you give yourself daily injections that stimulate the follicle growth, which is where the eggs are. And those are forced to release right before the insemination and it's a really delicate balance because you want follicles because you want eggs but you don't want like a million eggs because they have Mm -hmm. the potential to all fertilize um so that's where you get the quadruplets and things like that exactly yeah and so we then the day of the insemination you go to the doctor and they prepare the sperm because it's frozen and they do it's like what people describe as the turkey baster but it's wow. like a little bit more delicate than that and then you just lay there for a few minutes and 
they tell you not to take a pregnancy test and they will do a blood test and it's about two weeks between when wow. they do the insemination and when they do the blood test. What is the success rate for that? Do you oh, know? Gosh, I can't. Like, is it, is it's it pretty rare? Or? It's 25% yeah. for each round. Wow. Okay. Is it expensive? It is. Yeah. You have to pay for each round. You have to pay. I'm assuming. Yeah. You have to pay for each round and you have to pay for, there's like testing and obviously a lot of blood testing that happens in between. So for our whole IUI process, it was about $10,000. Wow. For that one attempt? No, we actually ended up doing four because I did not get pregnant and each time they did it, they increased the amount of medication and monitored it. And there's a lot of setbacks, too, because they'll be like, oh, for sure, this day is the day that we'll do the insemination. But then your levels aren't quite right. So they're like, oh, well, we'll do it the next day or this round isn't good. So you have to skip this round. Oh, I'm sure that was mentally exhausting it's for you. It's so tiring. And we... Because we thought that this would work, we told everyone. And so Mm. each time that we didn't get pregnant, we also had to go back and tell everybody. Oh, so not only are you just like so upset and depressed over this, you also, you know, all this money towards it. Yeah. How stressful and frustrating that would be. Yes. How was your and your husband's relationship through all of this? It was really good. Honestly, we... I mean, he had a lot of struggles with the thought that he would not have a biological child. And so we had to work through that. He's a very quiet person. Um, He doesn't talk a lot. You kind of have to draw those feelings out after he processes for a while. So there were times that I thought that things were really good. And then later it came back like, oh, we need to work through this a little bit. But we were really strong through that whole process. Good. Was it, did you guys get any like outside counseling help to kind of help the emotions through that process? They actually required, I don't know if it was state required or if it was just our doctor, but we actually did see a psychologist to go through the process with IUIs. And that did help for us to talk through a lot of that. So how long was this process? How, how, um, how long were you going through this? It was at least six months. We kind of were wavering, like, should we continue? Should we give up? And I had a really hard time with saying, like, if we don't do this and we aren't having kids. And I had gone to work the morning that my period started after that failed fourth attempt And my cramps were so bad from detoxing all of the medication that I passed out at work. Mm. And my husband picked me up and he said, like, he could clearly feel that God was saying no more. So Mm. we stopped trying. And then we had an appointment with our doctor after that. And he said that he couldn't, like, scientifically explain why I wasn't able to get pregnant using the process that we did and the amount of tries that we had because each try is a 25% chance. So, obviously, it's not cumulative where it's, like, then you get to 100. Each try is 25%. Mm-hmm. But yeah. with increasing the medications, like, it should have happened. 
So what was the conversation after that with your husband? We reevaluated and talked about what our lives would look like without kids and who we would be. And my husband started turning a hobby of his into what his full-time job is now, which is really cool. (laughs) And I realized that I had put the desire of being a parent into like a lot of my life. Like I had purchased a small SUV thinking that I would put kids in it. And I had gained weight when my mom passed away a few years prior. And I just never lost it because I felt like once I get pregnant, it won't matter anyway. And so I traded in my car. I started eating healthy and exercising and I lost all of that extra weight. We traveled and actually during that time we went to Spain um, and there were a lot of really cool things that happened during that time, but it wasn't perfect by any means. Like I still felt a tinge of bitterness and anger every single time a person in my life would announce a pregnancy and there was a lot of things that I had to let go of and mourn like choosing a baby's name and designing a nursery or buying maternity clothes and just really having to come to terms with all of that stuff. Do you have anybody that you could really open up and talk to about all those emotions? I talked to my sister about it a lot and she hadn't experienced any of that. So I didn't have anybody that I had in my life to talk to that had similar experiences but I had plenty of people that were willing to listen. So what was the next conversation? So it was at this point you're thinking no kids. Yeah, and we had, it was a couple of years uh, between this and then the next step, which is our adoption journey. Then I was working at Starbucks, uh, which is where I was working during that whole, all the IUI stuff. I had made friends with one of my coworkers and she was actually there the day that I passed out. Um, after our IUI attempts and at a party one time after that she and I were having margaritas we were swimming and she said that she had never wanted to be a mother but if that she were to get pregnant that she would consider us to be adoptive parents Um, Hmm. huge hypothetical we were drinking tequila and Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that I really ever expected to actually happen But on Christmas Eve day of 2014, she sent me a text message with a picture of a pregnancy test and it said, hey, we need to talk. Wow. Yeah. That is, was she in a relationship? Was she She married? She was in a relationship, a serious long-term relationship. And when they got together, I found out after that she had told him about the conversation we had and Mm. that they actually weren't really actively preventing pregnancy at any point because she knew that we would be beautiful adoptive parents for her child. Wow. Wow. That's insane. So you get that text message. Did your heart just drop? I was like like immediately crying. I was so overwhelmed and it was like joy and fear and disbelief, like every emotion that you can imagine. Oh, I mean, I can't even imagine because instantly when you told me about that text message, I got tears in my Yeah, eyes. it's incredible. What a friend. What a gift. Yes. So how did that conversation go when you went and met up with her? Yeah, so I actually showed my husband that night and he was, 
he didn't know about our conversation years earlier. Like I never told him because I didn't think it would actually happen. And he was really hesitant to entertain the idea, but we mm, arranged for us to all go out to dinner, uh, her and her boyfriend, and then the two of us. And she opened up and it was really terrifying and beautiful, but we could see that she was super sincere about it. And we started going through the process. Uh, I was able to go to all of her doctor's appointments and I got to be there when we found out that the baby was a girl and her birth mom started calling her by the name that we chose for her, which was really special. It was like a point of confirmation for me. Did tell our friends and family again and we were super supported by most. Um, We hired an attorney to help us with the paperwork and prep us for the court process And then we got state license to adopt, which is an insane process. It involves like home inspections and six hours of in-depth and super personal interviews with a social worker. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that would be the process, even with it being like a friend and, you know, someone seeking you out. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, you still have to get state license regardless of the situation, which I didn't know either. At this point, so it was an intense process. Yes. At this point, I did have a friend at church that she's an adoptive mother as well. And she's kind of, I always refer to her as my adoption coach because she was the one that told me each step along the way and got me um, introduced to the social worker that we used for our daughter's adoption. And without that, I don't know if we would have been able to figure it out. It's very complicated. So the process was finished, though, before the process uh, was was finished as far as we could before she was born. So I got to be in the room when she was born, which was amazing. Um, I got to hold her. And then she she had some complications that we knew about before she was born. So we knew that she would be in the NICU. Which is fine because in Arizona, a birth parent can't sign their rights over for adoptive parents until after 72 hours have passed anyway. Mm. So the day that she was released from the hospital, we worked with the notary at the hospital to um, sign the severance rights paperwork. And so that's just paperwork saying that they acknowledge that they are severing their rights as parents and that we are the adoptive parents. And from that point, they can't seek to fight us for custody. Wow. I am curious. Was there ever a conversation about like, were you, like these were your right. friends. Were you super close with them to the point where they'd be around a lot? Did you guys have a conversation about what would happen in the future? Or what was that? What were the terms of that? Yeah, we talked about it a lot. And initially, we were going to write into the adoption agreement for specific visitation rights. But we felt like over time that things would change, like just friendships change in general. And obviously, this changes things considerably. So we never Mm -hmm. wrote anything specific in. But it's always been our agreement that whatever is best for Georgia, our daughter, and what fits with them is what we will strive for. So it's open. And wow. 
Uh, do you still see them pretty often, uh, the couple? So they actually broke up not too long ago, and her biological father has not been in the picture at all. I'm friends with him on social media, and I've always told him that when he's ready, that he's welcome to be a part of her life. And it's just not really something that he's interested in. But her biological mother is very much a part of her life. We don't see her super often. But she and I, I actually text her right before I started recording this. Uh, we talk hmm. very often. And we've gone on vacation with her family before. We've gone to the beach a couple times. And she knows who she is. Uh, my daughter knows who her biological mother is. And then she's very close with her maternal grandmother on that side. Oh, how old she is your daughter? five now? Five. Okay. So it's been explained yeah. to her and, and she yeah, gets she it. What a child of her age should know about her story. She knows that she grew in Megan's tummy and because Megan loves her so oh. much, she let her live with us forever. Oh, I love yeah, that so much. That- so you have yes. her, um, and then what, what next happens next? is <laughs> around the time that she turned two, I felt like, again, that like really strong urge, our family needs to grow. We're, we're just, we're not done yet. And so we talked about fertility treatments, but we decided to pursue adoption again. And obviously things are a little bit different this time because what happened with Georgia is outside of the norm. And so we started the process without knowing, like, what would happen. Um, So we started with the state licensing again. And we were about halfway through when, it was like two months after she turned two, I went back to New York for a wedding. And while I was there, I felt like I was just so struck by the diversity that I'd kind of forgotten because Arizona is so not diverse. (laughs) And I felt like we were doing... Georgia a disservice by living in this like suburban white middle-class neighborhood and I came back from the city like just on fire for change and I was convinced that the love for our daughter and our neighbor would be through moving to a lower income neighborhood with more racial diversity but within a couple of days that I was just like totally proven wrong because we were contacted out of the blue by an old friend of my husband's that a mutual friend of theirs had had her child removed from her home and entered into the foster care system. And he Mm. knew that because we had adopted before, we might be able to take him as a kinship placement, which means that he would be placed with us as friends or family. And we weren't sure honestly it wasn't what we wanted we had wanted a baby and Mm -hmm. he was 15 months old and we had wanted a fresh start and foster care comes with like literal and figurative baggage Mm -hmm. but it felt like that was the change that I had been feeling when I was in New York and so we said yes yeah so you had a 15-month-old little yes. boy come and yeah. live with you. Um, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy time. We were totally shattered by everything that we 
had experienced prior to because foster care is so hard and we learned how to fight for a child to do what the best thing for them but our marriage was tested and grew and our relationship with Georgia grew and changed and was challenged she was just had just turned two and had a brother now that was 11 months younger than her. She had to share her room. She had to share us, her toys. So it was really hard for her. And he was really delayed. So he was not able to crawl or walk. He didn't talk. He was drinking formula primarily. And we, he was with us for six months and grew a ton. He thrived so did he go back to his mom afterward yeah or he actually went to his grandmother interim for about a month before he was returned to his mom so we had him for about six months and the goal of foster care is almost always reunification but because we fell into that process without having training before we experienced a lot of things that we probably shouldn't have we expected the courts to see the situation he was coming from and like side with us and we expected more from our social worker than she could give I think the worst part was that we expected his parents to be thankful to us for helping out when we needed it but they were like bitter and angry and manipulative and on the other side of that I can understand why but when you're going through it without training and being prepared it's really hard can imagine you know that that situation I've heard from other people too it's it's it takes a very strong person to do something like that and it was a short amount of time like you said he grew he thrived so that's great that you were able to at least give him that did they have contact with you while you did yes we didn't know it was probably extra hard because it's somebody that we knew they pushed boundaries that we probably wouldn't have been accepting Mm -hmm. of if it were a stranger what kind of boundaries lots and lots of text messages like 80 text messages a day Mm -hmm. yeah oh so prior to that though you were hoping to maybe adopt again so after that did you pursue that process again we were really like torn apart after he left our marriage really got took a hard hit and it was like all that fight that we had put into helping him was just kind of like gone we didn't put that fight towards our marriage after and so for a long Mm -hmm. time it was really strained and our house was quiet and just like heavy air and you know we had to really reevaluate what our relationship with Georgia looked like like I felt so happy to just have her all the time with me But I also felt really guilty that I was enjoying that because I was still worried about our foster son. About a year, uh, just under a year after he went back to live with his mom, I got another call from DCS, which is Child Services, and he was removed from his home again. And since he had been placed with us previously, they wanted to know if we would be willing to take him again. And it was a lot more difficult to make the decision because I was immediately transported back to the pain of our experiences. But I also Mm -hmm. had so much love for him and we considered taking him again, 
but we asked his caseworker if his plan would be for severance and adoption or reunification. And we decided that if the state planned on him being adopted, that we would say yes. But his case plan was set for reunification, and we just couldn't do that to our family again. So we said no. What a tough decision. I know that must it have been so hard so for you hard. to make. It uh, for- yeah, uh, was Fortunately, imagine. he has an older half-sister. And at that point, she was 20. So she took him. And he was with her for about eight months before he went back with his biological mom. I am friends with his half-sister, and she gets to see him occasionally. She has kind of a strange relationship with her mom, so they're not super close. But I got to see her about a month ago, and she showed me a bunch of pictures. He's like a kid now. He's four. Yeah. Oh, what a hard, I can't even imagine. That just sounds like it's just emotionally very draining, I'm sure, to have to it go through the whole experience. And they're tough as it is. And then this is a lot of extra yeah, stuff we've on been top of that. Through it. Um, when Georgia was three, so it was about a year, uh, maybe like six months after that second time that we got called about our foster son. So Georgia was three and I got that desire again. I was like, we really need to grow our family because we had dropped the, uh, the concept of adoption after our foster son left. It was just too much. But the company mm-hmm. that my husband was working for then had been bought out and they had supplemental fertility assistance. So we tracked down our mm-hmm. old fertility doctor, and in the time that we had seen him originally, he had opened up his own clinic, and he has reduced IVF prices. So the combination of that and the supplemental insurance that my husband's company had, we felt like we could financially pursue IVF. We were doing IVF, which is a little bit different. I can tell you about the process of that. But it's typically, like, way yeah. more expensive. So typical IVF prices are thirty to 40000 Wow. And there's so many people so doing IVF many nowadays. People. Yeah. A couple months of testing that they do before you can even start the process. And you also have to take birth control, which sounds crazy. But it's Mm. regulating your cycle so that they can predict when everything needs to happen. So Mm. you do shots again, just like with IUI. um, Sometimes once a day, sometimes twice a day. And sometimes it's two different medications. Um, And then for us, we chose a donor, sperm donor again, different person. (laughs) Yes. Your eggs, correct? That their sperm, your eggs. And um, how long so was this process for you? In October of 2018. And then right before Thanksgiving, we went in for the egg retrieval. So it was like two ish months of getting prepped for everything. And so you're taking the medications to build up your eggs. And for this, you want as many eggs as possible. Because they go in Mm. while you're under anesthesia with a huge needle that goes through your uterine lining and they extract, extract eggs from both ovaries. 
and you wake up and recover. And for me, they were able to collect 18 eggs. Oh my God. I can't imagine that. Be like, this one has your nose. Yeah. Let's yeah. go with him. We yeah. both have blue eyes. And so that was like a major what? factor for us. Like the chances of our oh, yeah. child having blue eyes. Wow. That's a lot. Because I've heard people doing like eight and being excited 18. about eight. But 18. And so there are two different ways that fertility wow. clinics do IVF. One is with a fresh transfer. And then the other is with a frozen transfer, which is what our clinic does. So after they take the eggs out, they um, introduce the sperm. I don't know how that really works because I wasn't there for that. <laughs> I know they throw it. like a little <laughs> retrieval. I started my period and then I began the injection process again. But they were from the 18 eggs that I had, 12 fertilized and five grew appropriately. And so they tested those, they do hmm. a genetic test on them, and then they freeze them on day five. Wow. And so once my body was prepped with all the injections and my uterine lining was thick enough, which they, you have to go into the clinic like twice a week during this entire process where they will draw blood and they do an ultrasound to check your lining. So I was very familiar with going to my fertility clinic. So once my lining was ready, you go in for what's called an embryo transfer. And it's pretty similar to what you do for the retrieval. You go to the same part of the fertility clinic and then there's surgery prep but you don't go under for this, you're awake. And they very carefully place the embryo from the lab where it was frozen and waiting and put it in your uterus. Then they said that I was pregnant until proven otherwise, which I I felt was really cool. I needed to hear that. They give you a little ultrasound photo and there's a tiny, tiny little air bubble that they use to mark the spot where the embryo is placed. Wow. It's so intense. intense process. And then you have to wait 14 days. <laughs> wow. But that was it the longest sure was. 14 days ever. <laughs> Could you enjoy it at all? Because they told you you're pregnant until proven otherwise. So like, how did it that was, two weeks feel for you? I think there were parts that I enjoyed. Like I started rubbing my belly and I was really excited, but I was also really nervous. And it was a really long two weeks. So, I planned a lot of stuff to do during that time just to keep myself busy. So after the two weeks, you go in or did you no, take a pregnancy you draw and then they'll call you and let you know. And I was not pregnant. So oh. it was completely devastating. Like, I feel like I've said that so many times, oh. during this, but it's so devastating. Oh, we were just so excited. Just in this story, we were both like, yeah, oh. <laughs> we were so up and down. Oh, oh, my God. One of the things that he said that day has just really stuck with me. He said that the science of fertility treatments has advanced so far, but there's still this little piece of the puzzle that remains a mystery. And I feel like that's just really beautiful. And it's hard. No matter what you do, mm-hmm. there's still a part that they're not sure about. Did they tell you a reason why it didn't work with you? They, that was the reason. So there's just, there's no. suggested a test that had yeah. just been developed. It's called an ERA test. And I looked it up so I could remember what that stands for, but it's like crazy long. So ERA. And it checks the timing of when the transfer would be most successful. 
because for like 99.9% of people, the formula works on the time that there's supposed to do the uh, embryo transfer. But for this very small percentage of people, it doesn't. And so it causes you to have to skip one transfer time because you build up your lining using the medications. And then they do a test one day, you skip a day and they do another test. And then you get your period and you start again. And so what they found with the ERA for me is that I needed to have my transfer I can't remember if it was 12 hours earlier or 12 hours later, but it wasn't the time that they would have guessed. Hours. Wow. Matter of 12 yeah. hours. Wow. Yeah. Insane. Really is a miracle that kids Naturally. are, are How do people do that? I know. <laughs> right? I know, right? So, so yeah. you were on board there. Like, we're doing this. I was still determined. We're still determined. And so we filled out all of the paperwork and we initially decided to transfer one embryo, but I kept feeling like, oh, this is like our last, last, last ditch effort chance. We should do two. And so I convinced my husband mm-hmm. and he's like, I know if we do two that you're going to get pregnant with twins. And I was like, well, we've tried like 14 million other times. So I probably won't get pregnant. And if I do get pregnant with twins, at least we have two babies. So we did another round and I did acupuncture before and after while I was in the office, which was a really cool experience. And I felt like it helped, but who knows? I would definitely recommend it to other people that are going through IVF. No. I've actually seen that with other people I know that are, are going through fertility issues that they do acupuncture. Is that like a known thing know for people about with fertility all, issues? But I guess that it is because the woman that did my acupuncture goes to fertility clinics and does it in the office. Interesting. So after this round, instead of waiting the 14 days, my doctor scheduled multiple blood draws because he wanted to monitor my hormones and see if they were changing at all. And so I did my first blood draw five days after the transfer and it did have HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone. Yes. And in order to continue to be pregnant, it needed to double, which it did. Then on the 14th day when I would have had my blood draw, it way more than doubled. So they were like, you are pregnant. How did you feel when you got that news? So many letdowns. Yeah. It was really hard. So we had to wait just over two weeks. And I had my first ultrasound. And it was twins. So wow. I knew that the chances of having multiples with IVF. And I still just could not even believe that I was really pregnant. Wow. I can't, I just got, but like chills and butterflies when you said it, like we knew it was coming kind of, but we didn't. So you were given a due date and is your pregnancy, is it, is it fairly normal or they have a fertility clinic to a regular OB and that felt really scary to me because for six months I was with a fertility clinic and I was going multiple days Mm -hmm. a week to have everything checked. And then they're like, oh yeah, we'll see you in a month. It was really weird for me, Wow, but It was a pretty normal pregnancy. I had to remain on progesterone for the first 12 weeks of the pregnancy, which is a thick oil injection that you have to give yourself. And I have a friend that set an alarm every day for, cause I would do it at 9 PM every day. And she would text me and tell me that I'm a badass. 
giving myself so many Aww. shots. Done it all. You've literally gone through My it all. So when was, was your due date for that? December 12th. But with multiples, they typically won't let anybody go past 38 weeks. But they still give you a normal due date. So November 4th, okay. I went in for an ultrasound. And I was 34 weeks and four days. My legs had been super swollen. And I gained six pounds over the weekend. My blood pressure was high. Yeah. So I asked wow. them to process my urine while I was still there. And it came back with protein in it, which is a sign of preeclampsia. So they asked mm-hmm. me to go to the hospital and do a 24-hour urine collection. And the next morning, I expected that they would release me with, like, blood pressure medication and bed rest. But they did not. <laughs> so they decided to start inducing wow. me. And my plan throughout the entire pregnancy was to do a natural delivery because I just wanted to have that experience. But my biggest fear through the entire pregnancy was birthing one twin naturally and then having to have a C-section to get the other one out because I could wrap my head around healing Mm -hmm. from one process, but not from both. So pretty quickly after they started to induce me, I was having four minute long contractions, but I couldn't feel them. But Natalie, who is the twin that was higher up, she couldn't handle it and her heart rate kept dropping. Mm. So we considered having a C-section then. And I really felt like I would be a failure if I just decided to go for a C-section, which I know isn't true. But I wanted to hang in there and keep trying. So we decided that if her heart rate dropped again, that we would do just go for the C-section. But she did fine after that. She held in there. And so we started at around 2 p.m. that Tuesday. And the next day, they used a couple of different medications and a balloon device to try and jumpstart Uh, labor. And when I was about four centimeters dilated, that's when they would have started the Pitocin. But at that point, Natalie began to struggle again. And so I had to remain on oxygen to keep her heart rate stable. Mm -hmm. So we talked to my doctor and she laid out all the options. And I was so tired at that point because it had been over 24 hours. I hadn't been able to have any food or water. I had had to be on bed rest for two days because they had to be able to monitor both babies' heart rates. And I just, I was done. So, yeah. So I chose this section. Yeah. Which itself went to plan. And I was able to see both babies as they were pulled out. They both cried, which is amazing because they were five weeks early. Mm. And then. Yeah. Everything seemed fine. So I told Ron, my husband, to go to the nursery with them. And after he left, I started losing a ton of blood. I passed out a couple times. And they had to transfuse four liters of blood. They were trying to get my uterus back in, but they weren't able to. So I just remember my doctor. It's like little clips of memory for me. 
And I can remember my doctor being mm-hmm. right by my face. And she said that she needed to perform a hysterectomy, but she needed my permission to do it. Wow. So I agreed wow. because I was in so much pain. I just wanted it to be over. And they gave me general anesthesia and completed the surgery. And then I had to be taken to ICU. And I spent the night there and the following day. And they weren't able to bring the babies to see me because I was in ICU. So I didn't see that for the first 26 hours. It was really, really, really hard. How were they doing during that? Never needed oxygen. They were on IVs for a really short period of time. And then they had NG feeding tubes because they would just get so tired trying to suck on a bottle. Um, And then they were on warmers for a little while. I think, I don't think it was even 24 hours. And then they were able to keep their temperatures stable on their own. They were super strong and they were big too because they were five weeks early and they were four pounds, 12 ounces and four pounds, 14 ounces. They were so strong. they did great. Was this 2019? 2019. Okay. But you did have to have the hysterectomy. Were you hoping or planning to have or try for more after that? I said two or three kids. And then after I was like, "Mm, I really want one more. Like I'd love to have another boy and just even out our ranks. But I mean, and I've talked about like, oh, maybe we'll do foster care in the future. But at this point, they're both starting to walk now. And I'm like, okay, we're good. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Oh, what a, that's seriously, we were up and down this whole time. What a roller coaster. Sam and I were like (laughs) gasping and almost crying. (laughs) Sam was crying a little bit there, but I'm a crier. I'm very empathic to people. I can't help that. Oh, what a beautiful story though. So at this point. So at this point, you have your three beautiful, healthy, happy children. And and perhaps one day in the future, you'd consider maybe adoption or foster to adopt. It's a possibility. My husband side eyes me every time I say it. (laughs) Wow. So a lot of moms are really excited to hear of your journey, you know, because like you mentioned earlier, you didn't really have anybody to talk to that had gone through something like you had gone through, you know, and. And, and unfortunately, this is becoming more common, I feel like more and more people are struggling to get pregnant and they need help with the IUIs and the IVFs and think and, you know, adoption and everything. And thank goodness, thank goodness that we have all those different options and everything like that. But it, it's just hard because yeah. we don't really talk about it that much, you know, and we don't have somebody to really be able to like the emotional roller coaster, like this last hour, I went through an emotional roller coaster just listening to your experience that you had to live for like six years. Yeah. 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. I'm really thankful now to have had that experience. All of them, even like they're so hard, but they're so beautiful. And I, I think that it's our duty in life to help others go through or help them experience what they're experiencing through our own experiences. I think it's good too with social media, people are kind of sharing yeah. this more. I think it was a little taboo before to talk about these. You know? Yeah. So I'm glad that it's become normal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for reaching out to us and wanting to share your story and, and being so vulnerable with us. I know this is going to be a, a really good conversation for a lot of moms 
to hear. I mean, even, you know, for moms who are going through similar situations, but even for moms who haven't dealt with this, I think it's good for us to know, Mm -hmm. you know, what moms are going, other moms who have struggled to conceive are going through. So we can be more empathetic to their situation. Yeah. More supportive, you know, like that friend that texts you every night at 9 p.m. telling you what a warrior you were. Like we need to be that mom for each other. Yeah. And I'm so happy for you. Thank you you so much for sharing with us. Thank you. You too. Man. That was a good one. So good. So not what I was expecting at all. What a strong woman to go through everything that she's gone through. Right? And so positive. Mm -hmm. And she just kept going, too. She never gave up. Nope. Never gave up. And I can't believe her friend gave her a baby. Her friend. We got so emotional during that. Oh, man. I did not expect that. I was like, I remember thinking, too, like, because you never know when you hear about someone wanting to give their baby up for adoption while they're pregnant like I was getting worried when she was talking about it that at the end it wouldn't happen it wouldn't happen or she wanted to keep the baby I'm like oh my gosh I'm gonna get my heart broken right now I'm so glad she was able to keep her and the situation was just perfect what what an amazing situation for all of them involved I know and then to go through IVF the first time multiple times and at work and then to do it Again and yes. to have twins. Oh my gosh! All she went through too. Thank God she was able to be able to actually have success with it after yeah. all she went through. She finally was able to get pregnant with twins. Amazing! So now she's a mom of three. I know it's wonderful. I'm so happy for her. So happy for her. So glad she was able to share her story with us and open up with us. I think it's really good too because I know a lot of moms are struggling, you know, with getting pregnant right now too and. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope, you know? And I think it would be comforting to hear other stories of other moms who have struggled and kind of what they've been through and what they've Mm -hmm. done. And so I hope that this is... It's a little for everybody because I also realized at the beginning we were like, you know, we talked about, we cover IVF, we covered adoption, fostering, but also moms of doubles. Yep. So she had twins too. She's got everything. Everything. She's literally got everything. So we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation like we did. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at mom.worthy. You can join us over on Patreon and get our juicy episodes over there. uh, Patreon.com slash momworthy. There's two tiers to choose from. And currently right now we have a couple episodes already up. We have a conversation with a mom who used to be a sugar baby. Mm -hmm. She gives you all the deets, you guys. She does not hold back and it is not what you would expect. Not what you you would expect. And then the other episode up on Patreon for you guys is a mom that submitted a secret that her Hollywood agent groomed her for porn. And it's her story with porn being in the industry. How she got into it. How she got into it. Like some of the dark secrets of the porn industry. How she ultimately got out of it. What happened when she got out of it. Her life afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, And she's so brave. And she came out and proudly shared her story. Yep. And then we also have another really good Patreon episode coming out on this Wednesday for anybody who is on the second tier, which is the Mom Squad. So if you're part of the Mom Squad, you will get that episode on Wednesday. Another good one. Really excited for you guys to listen to it. And then also make sure you're in our mom group. If you want to join us on Facebook, it's Momworthy Mamas. And then we also have Momworthy After Dark. We'll see you guys over there. Thanks for listening. Bye.